0: Good morning again. Welcome back to Prairie View Christian Church. We're happy to have you here this morning. And as we continue in our Back to Basics sermon series, we're going to start to shift our focus from who we are to what we do. So who are we as individual believers? Well, as we saw two weeks ago, we are set apart by God's grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, and dwelt by the Holy Spirit. And who are we as a church? Well, we are called together as brothers and sisters in God's family, fellow members of Christ's body, and bearers of the same Holy Spirit, even in the midst of all our differences. But if that's who we are, then what do we do? Well, a good place to start is with what we're doing right now. You don't really get more basic than that. We gather for worship. So open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Feel free to use the Bibles we have here. If you didn't bring one, take one home if you don't own one. And of course, if you're live streaming, we encourage you to follow along there as well. But before we go any further, let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for all you've given to us. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Uh, Lord, thank you that... We can call you our father because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Uh, That we are your sons, we are your daughters, that you love us, that you care for us. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would bless this Father's Day uh, that we celebrate together. Um, Hopefully this Father's Day is a little more normal than our last Father's Day. Uh, Lord, thank you for good fathers. Uh, Thank you for the good fathers in this room, the godly fathers who are raising their kids in your discipline, your instruction. I pray that you would help us to be godly fathers, godly parents. Thank you for the fathers who are not in this room. Um, Lord, we ask that you watch over those who raised us, uh, assuming they're still with us, Lord. Uh, Watch over them, and we pray for those who are grieving uh, if they've lost a father. And Lord, again, uh, we know that Father's Day can be bittersweet. um, But at the end of the day, as we're going to sing later in the service, you are a good father. And as complicated as fatherhood can be and as complicated as our relationships with our fathers might be, even if they're non-existent, uh, Lord, thank you that we can call you our father by faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, again, be with us as we read your word this morning, Uh, this Sunday, every other Sunday. I pray that you would use your word to shape us how we need to be shaped. Uh, You are faithful to do that. Your word is powerful to do that. And so, Lord, give us open hearts and open ears and open minds uh, to let your word and let your spirit do its work in us to make us more like you. We love you. We praise you. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, there are many things that God calls believers to do with each other, for each other, and to each other. For example, you can consider the one another sayings of the New Testament. Believers are called to love, welcome, care for, agree with, serve, forgive, teach, bless, and encourage each other, just to name a few. But remember, this sermon series is called Back to Basics. So I want to focus on something that we do that at least at one time was a no-brainer. It's something that's supposed to be so ingrained into us as Christians, that it shouldn't even need to be said. However, after the past 15 or so months, it does need to be said because things have changed so much. And that basic truth, that basic thing that we do as Christians is gathering for worship. A study by the Barna Group found that during last spring's pandemic lockdown, roughly one third of practicing Christians completely dropped out of attending church. And that's factoring in all the restrictions and all the changes of in-person attendance or online participation, whatever factors you want to bring up. One third of practicing Christians dropped out of church entirely last spring. And that was especially the case for younger believers. Some 50% of millennials dropped out of church entirely last spring. And while that study is now a year old, and while the threat of COVID is lower now than it was then, it's obvious that many who fell off the radar over the past 15 months have not come back. They have not returned to Sunday morning worship. Now, surely some of that is justifiable. The past 15 months have been nothing short of traumatizing for many of us. And we shouldn't criticize those who are still weary about coming to church too harshly. On top of that, it's now summer. People are traveling on well deserved vacations after all the stress they've endured. People are seeing family for the first time in ages, and that's all well and good. However, if we're being honest, the pandemic has caused many of us to become lazy, apathetic, or even greedy with our Sunday mornings. If you didn't know this about me, I listen to classical music most mornings. I am old and weird and dorky. But one of the advertisements I often hear as I listen to classical music on 887 WICR is for Sunday morning Baroque. This program's Sunday morning Baroque. And the way the advertisement typically goes for Sunday morning Baroque starts like this. No alarm clock to wake you up. No traffic to negotiate. No staff meetings to attend. Sunday is your day. Listen to Sunday Morning Baroque. But here's the thing. We Christians know, or at least we should know, that Sunday is not our day. Sunday is the Lord's day. Public worship on Sunday has always been an essential practice, a joyful privilege of our faith. Justin Martyr was one of the earliest apologists for the Christian faith, and he wrote about believers around 150 A.D. And on the day called Sunday, all who live in the cities or in the country gather together in one place. We all hold this common gathering on Sunday, since it is the first day on which God, transforming darkness and matter, made the universe and Jesus Christ, our Savior, on the same day rose from the dead. This is the Lord's day. Jonathan Edwards, arguably America's greatest theologian, wrote almost 300 years ago, God has made it our duty by his institution to set apart this day for a special speaking of his grace and blessing. The Sabbath day is an accepted time, a day of salvation, a time when God especially loves to be sought and loves to be found. God wants to be sought and found by his people. And one of the best times to do that is on Sunday morning, the Lord's Day. One scholar even defines the word church as a body of believers in any particular place associated together in the worship of God. In other words, you could call a group of Christians that doesn't regularly gather for worship a lot of things. But you can't call them a church if they're not regularly worshiping. Look at Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. The earliest days of the church, immediately after Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension. Verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So verse 42 makes it clear that the early Christians were devoted to physically gathering for worship. The part about the apostles' teaching and the breaking of bread and the prayers in verse 42 likely refers to a formal organized, regular worship gathering. What people like us today might call a worship service. So from the earliest days of the church, Christians have met together on Sunday, listened to a sermon, taken communion, and prayed. Other New Testament passages tell us that giving was a regular part of that gathering, and singing was likely a part of it as well. And if you look in the following verses, that amazing things would happen when these people got together. The apostles would work wonders. The sense of fellowship was unmatched. There was joy, there was praise, and there was even growth. Other people saw these Christians gathering regularly and found themselves intrigued. They found themselves interested. They found themselves attracted to what these people were doing because apparently it mattered. So people started to pay attention. Now, admittedly, it's tempting to say, well, a Sunday morning at my church was like what we read in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, then I'd probably be there more often. If my church's leaders were performing miracles... If we had a full on meal every week, for that matter, not just donuts in the lobby, thank you, trustees, but a full on meal, and if we had that kind of unity, then I'd be much more excited to join in. But don't be fooled by this passage. The early church was not perfect, it was not a utopia. They had their fair share of problems, like any church you'll find today. If you don't believe me, just read the letters of the Apostle Paul. But here's the thing. These Christians still gathered. They still met. They still worshipped. Sometimes at great personal risk. Why? Because Sunday wasn't their day. It was the Lord's day. Sunday isn't my day. Sunday isn't your day. Sunday is the Lord's day. There are numerous psalms expressing the privilege, the honor of gathering to worship God in an appointed place. There's an entire section of psalms that were specifically sung on the way to the temple. These are referred to as the songs of ascent. In Psalm 84, we read, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. A few verses later, Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. And then near the end, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Psalm 122 puts it simply. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Now, the truth is that these passages don't perfectly apply to coming to this building on Sunday mornings. We can't call this structure the Lord's house in the same way the temple in Jerusalem was the Lord's house in the Old Testament. And on top of that, there is some truth to the saying you've heard before that the church is not a building. The church is the people. That's absolutely true. However, you can't convince me that there isn't something different about physically gathering in a place that was built exclusively for worship to do just that. You can't convince me that there isn't something different about standing next to someone you know bears the same Holy Spirit you do. There may be nothing intrinsically holy about the bricks and the mortar, the lumber and the nails, the carpet and the drywall of this building. But you'll never convince me that there isn't something different, something special about gathering for worship in a church on Sunday morning. This structure might not carry the same spiritual weight as the Old Testament temple. And yes, the church is not the building. It's the people. But I still pray that we would share the psalmist's hunger, share the psalmist's desire to gather in this place with our brothers and sisters in Christ, a place that was built exclusively for worship, to worship God together. If the year 2020 taught us anything, it's the limitations of technology. Our small group met virtually multiple times during the pandemic. And was it better than nothing? Yes. Did it get old fast? Yes. Same with school. When Javen and Nolan were doing school on iPads, was it better than nothing? Yeah. Did it get old fast? Yes. We can assume that public health officials meant well and had good intentions when they recommended families share Thanksgiving dinner over Zoom or FaceTime. And I'm sure for many people, it really was better than nothing. But deep down, we all know it wasn't the same. There's no way that could have replaced the sights, the smells, the sounds, and the general atmosphere of truly being together. In the same way, you cannot virtually replace the physical gathering of God's people for worship. It's better than nothing in extenuating circumstances. More on that in a moment. But it just isn't the same. You know it. I know it. We all know it. Maybe one of the most difficult seasons of my marriage to Olivia was when she started coming home from the grocery store with turkey bacon. We were trying to lose a little bit of weight. We were trying to save a little bit of money. Turkey bacon was always $1.99 for a pack. But it wasn't bacon. It was bologna that was cut in the rough shape of a slice of bacon with a little bit of artificial coloring to kind of, sort of, look like bacon. But no matter what you did to it, it wasn't crispy. It was limp. It was baloney. It just wasn't the same. And you could dress it up as much as you wanted, but it wasn't bacon. And the same is true of Sunday morning. There is nothing like being in a church and worshiping God with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Could there be alternatives that are better than nothing? Of course there are. But you can never replace the real thing. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 19. We read there. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, But encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The word therefore in Hebrews ten nineteen harkens back to everything the author of the book has written up to this point. And if you had to sum up those first chapters of the book of Hebrews, you might say it's simply the greatness of Jesus Christ. The greatness of Jesus Christ. He's greater than the angels. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than the priests. He's greater than the temple. He's greater than the blood of bulls and goats and the entire old sacrificial system that was never truly sufficient for sins. He's greater than all those things. And since Jesus is so great. Who he is and what he's done. The author of Hebrews says we can draw near to God. We can hold fast our confession. We can stir one another up to love and good works when we're feeling tired or discouraged. And what's one of the best ways to accomplish that? Verse 25. Meeting together. Gathering for worship. Apparently not everybody reading that letter in the original audience felt the need to gather for worship. Some were neglecting it. They may have been concerned about persecution for their faith. That comes up in verses 32 through 39 as something that happened in the past and a very real possibility for the future. People were scared to go to church. Others may have simply stopped caring. The word neglect in verse 25 can also be translated as abandon or forsake. A similar word is used to describe the Israelites' tendency to neglect, abandon, or forsake their relationship with God in the Old Testament. Some people reading the letter to the Hebrews had forgotten that Sunday was the Lord's day, not their day. It's also worth noting that neglecting the Lord's day can be dangerous. Maybe it's not a coincidence that immediately following verse 25, the author of Hebrews warns about the perils of falling away from the Lord and falling into sin and judgment. When you don't make a point to gather for worship, When other appointments or priorities or desires crowd out the Lord. What started out as temporary, legitimate justifications for absence can morph into neglect. What started out as a legitimate break during extraordinary circumstances can become a bad habit. Part of what regular worship does is remind us of who God is. And remind us of what God has done. It's an opportunity for us to encourage each other to remember these things. To remember who he is. Remember who we are. And remember what we do in response. And if we abandon or forsake meeting together, we are more likely to forget these basic truths. If Jesus really is as great as the author of Hebrews says he is. If he really is greater than the angels. Really is greater than Moses. Really is greater than the priests. And really is greater than the temple. And really is greater than the Old Testament sacrifices. If he really did live a sinless life, if he really did die a sacrificial death on the cross, if he really did rise victoriously over sin and death and Satan, if he really did ascend to the Father's right hand, and if he really will return, if he really is all that great, then how can his people not gather to worship him? We're reminded of the gospel When we come here, we're reminded of the good news, the greatest news that we will ever hear. This place exists for the primary purpose of reminding us of the humbling, awe inspiring, eternally consequential truths of Jesus's identity and work. And gathering on the Lord's day. Here in this sanctuary that might not be anything to write home about. Gathering here on the Lord's day, week by week by week, prepares us for the day of the Lord. The day of Jesus' return. The day when we stand in a sanctuary far more impressive than this one and worship God face to face. We worship him now, in preparation for the future, when we will worship him forever. Jesus really is this great. He has given us a great salvation. So may we not neglect meeting together to worship him. One of our most basic acts of worship is getting out of bed, getting dressed, And gathering one day per week. An hour and 15 minutes out of 168 hours in the week. Doing this sends a message to our friends about what matters most. It sends a message to our families about where our allegiances lie. Your car pulling out of the driveway every Sunday morning around 9.45 a.m. Sends a message to the neighbor out watering their flowers about who you worship. It was one of the biggest practices that set Christians apart from the surrounding world in the earliest days of the church. People would notice that these Christians gathered. Theologian Herman Bavinck writes, in the midst of a world that does not know where it is going, and which often because of discouragement and despair lapses into decay, the church issues its glad hope. The world needs Christians to gather on Sunday mornings and worship our God. One of the most basic ways we issue our glad hope and share that glad hope with others is by gathering here at 10 a.m. Early in the pandemic, the Roman Catholic Church issued a dispensation, they call it, temporarily releasing their parishioners from the obligation to attend Mass. That dispensation was listed in the state of Indiana a week or two ago. Now, I'm no Pope. And our elders don't get to wear red hats and call themselves cardinals, as much as Joe has been pushing for that. And we don't typically use words like dispensation and obligation. Though we do call Sunday morning attendance a responsibility in our membership covenant. But consider this a similar message. If you aren't gathering together for worship, it's time to come back. As Zach said earlier, you were made for this. You need us. We need you. This is the Lord's day as it has been for generations of countless believers before us. And his greatness makes Sunday morning more than worthy of your time and your attention. Now, inevitably, this brings up our live stream. I recognize the irony of me saying, hey, you need to be here. Worshiping at home is not the same while we're allowing to people to worship at home. I understand the irony behind that. And as of right now, we plan to continue live streaming for the foreseeable future because there are real benefits to it. Those who wake up feeling sick can still have some participation in worship. The same is true for those with chronic illnesses. Those who are traveling for work or vacations. Those who don't feel comfortable driving on a snowy Sunday morning in January. Many benefits to live streaming. But we also know there is a real temptation to abuse our newfound live streaming capabilities in a way that enables bad habits. If you are able Physically gathering for worship is more important than your kids' sports. It's more important than the comfort of your slippers. It's more important than saving a little bit of gas. And as far as the pandemic goes, I would simply say this. If we've returned to doing everything we used to do except for church, it may be time to take a look in the mirror. One of the earliest, most basic confessions of the Christian faith is the Apostles' Creed. And one of the lines of that creed says this. I believe in the communion of saints. The communion of saints. Let's return to communing as saints on Sunday morning. Let's follow in the footsteps of the Apostles. Let's long to be in God's presence, like the psalmist. And let's worship Jesus Christ in all his greatness. Not neglecting it, as the author of Hebrews tells us. Puritan Thomas Brooks once wrote, Worship includes all that respect which mankind owes and gives to his Creator." It is the tribute we pay to the king of kings, whereby we acknowledge his sovereignty over us and our dependence on him. All that inward reverence and respect and all that outward obedience and service to God, which the word godliness includes, is summarized in this one word. Worship. It's what we were made for. It's what we were called to. It's who we are. It's what we do. So let's gather together in this room on Sunday mornings and do it. For God's glory and for our good. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you that we have the privilege of gathering and honouring you together. There are so many people in so many places who don't get that opportunity, who are at far more risk than we are, to gather in a place to hear your word preached, to give of our hard work, to be reminded of your work for us at communion, to sing and to pray. Lord, help us not take that for granted. I pray that as things transition in the pandemic, as we enter this new season of getting back to normal and navigating what comes next and what to do and what not to do, give us wisdom and discernment. But Lord, I also pray that you would give us a deep hunger to be here. There are so many things that demand our attention. And over the past year, we've probably lost some of our strength in our Sunday morning worship muscles. But I ask that you would help us rebuild those muscles and gather again in this place to honor you. I pray that so much time away from this place over the past 15 months wouldn't cause us to forget the joy of being here, but would rather remind us of how much we miss it. And how much we took it for granted before. Lord, help us gather here and worship in obedience to you, out of love for you, with joy of being with one another. And Lord, remembering that you've called us to this. You've set us apart for this. You've saved us for this. It's what we were made for. It's what we were saved for. And so, Lord, I pray that you would accept our worship this morning. And that we would have many more Sundays of many more people gathering in this room and worshiping you in the future. We love you. We honor you. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.